the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David is now sure that Saul wants him dead and he must say goodbye to Jonathan and flee. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 32. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 32. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, verse 32, Wherefore, why? Why shall he be slain? What has he done? Jonathan is truly stunned by his father's words. This has never come out like this before. Saul had said, we got to kill David, but, but... Jonathan had convinced him otherwise. This is wrong. Father, this is sin for you to do this. He has done nothing wrong. And so Saul changed his mind. And so he really believed that it was just all these circumstances that had influenced his father in a way that he had convinced himself that this had to be done. And so he's stunned at this confession. Jonathan really believed that David had overreacted or misunderstood somehow. And now that it's out there, Jonathan's asking why. Why? What has he done? Like Jonathan had in the past, he confronts his father's sin by asking what wrong David is to be executed for. Dad, you don't just get to kill people whenever you want just because you're king. And Saul's response is, watch me. Look at verse 33. And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Whatever shock Jonathan was in at that moment, whatever confusion was in his mind, whatever he didn't understand, everything became crystal clear in the moment the spear came hurling in the air towards him. That his father truly believed he had the right to kill whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted, whether wrong was done or not. And so Jonathan, verse 34, he knows David is right and there could be no reconciliation. And so, verse 34, Jonathan arose from the table. It says, in fierce anger. It means with face flushed, his nostrils flaring. Jonathan is livid. And he did eat no meat the second day. He couldn't stay a moment longer at the feast. For he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. While Jonathan's anger was certainly a match for his father's, it was a different kind of anger, though. 
The word grieved means to be distressed. And he was distressed because Saul's very public words, his public accusation that David wanted the throne, he knew that David would never be the same. His life would never be the same after that. He was angry because he was brokenhearted for his friend. Jonathan knows it because Saul has humiliated David by calling him a rebel in front of everyone. David, as much as he might try to clear his name, won't be able to do so, not in a way that Jonathan hopes for. So Jonathan was angry because of the wrong his father had done, certainly, but he was distressed because how was his innocent friend to have any kind of life as a public fugitive? And I imagine his heart was equally devastated for his father. Jonathan wasn't a fool. He, he never ignored his father's faults or his father's sins. But he'd seen good things too, hadn't he? Saul wasn't a, a baby when God called him to be the king. Jonathan had been in the army. He had seen the victories that Saul had won. Jonathan surely fought against the Ammonites in Saul's first major conflict. Watch God use his father to free the men of Jabesh-Gilead to defeat the Ammonites. He had been there for the good things too. Maybe you've had a, a friend or a family member and they've made some bad choices, but you always, you see the other things too and you have hope, right? You have hope and you look and you see, well, surely, you know, there's, there's you, know, <laughs> you know, surely it's still good somewhere in there, you know? Surely there's, there's some desire to serve the Lord, even though there's some of these bad choices. But all of that got, I mean, it's not like the apple cart just rolled over. I mean, somebody took a hatchet to it, right? Whatever good things that Jonathan saw, he realized that's not going to weigh in here. This was horrifying to him. If you've ever had someone you loved or respected do something awful, you know what that feels like. It's a great betrayal because the awful thing that they've done means they were also too selfish to think of the pain they'd bring to those who love them the most. It wasn't just that they did wrong, but they were so selfish they didn't think about how that wrong would affect the people who love them the most. So if you're a a husband or a parent or some other kind of leader. Remember that people who love you are watching your life. They believe the best about you, just like Jonathan did about his father. They, they don't ignore your faults. They believe the best about you and they're trusting you to make good choices. So you're, if you're in one of those roles and you're making selfish choices, I urge you to repent because one of the biggest lies out there is that my sin just affects me. That's not true. Our sin affects everyone around us. And sometimes it wounds people very deeply. Verse 35. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him. And he said unto his lad, run, Find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. 
When the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? That was the code that things did not go well with Saul. So Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, haste, hurry. Don't just stand there, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the lad didn't know anything, only that Jonathan and David knew the matter. And so when all this was done and he had retrieved his arrows for Jonathan, Jonathan gave his artillery unto the lad, his weapons, his bow and arrows in this case. And he said unto him, go and carry them into the city. Can you imagine how difficult it was for Jonathan to pull back that first arrow? With every shot, every shot he took, he knew he hastened the moment that he and David would be parted. Every arrow he shot, he knew that he hastened the moment that David would get the crushing news. David, you're not even a free man in your own country anymore. You need to go. You need to get to safety. Considering that this is the same place David hid before, and that the Bible tells us that Jonathan brought Saul out to this field so David could overhear the conversation that him and his father have, And the fact that Saul confided in Jonathan and had said to Jonathan, I know everything about you and David. Can you imagine the risk that Jonathan's taking coming to the same spot? It's very likely his father's thinking he's going out to get David. I wouldn't be surprised given how self-minded, self-centered, narcissistic that Saul was. Can you imagine the risk that Jonathan was putting in himself here? How was he to know that Saul wasn't having him watched? Every hour he shot put his life in just as much danger as David's life. Well, thankfully, the Bible tells us no one was in on it except David and Jonathan. And when all was said and done, a devastated David emerges from the hiding spot, verse 41. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and your seed forever. So he, David, arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. David comes out of hiding and he falls on his face, bows himself to the ground three times before Jonathan You remember, he had asked Jonathan to prove his loyalty. And Jonathan had told him, say, don't ever ask me that again. God forbid that I would ever do that. Don't say it anymore. You know I'm loyal to you. So David, in bowing down to his friend, that his friend stayed true, he acknowledges that Jonathan was loyal all along. He does deference to him here. And when that's done, it says, they kissed one another and and wept with one with another until David exceeded. The phrase here, kissed one another, has often been used to say, well, this is evidence that David and Jonathan were in a homosexual relationship. There's a part of me that doesn't even want to dignify that with a response. However, may I suggest to you that one of the reasons we don't understand this correctly, or there are some who would suggest something else is going on here, is because... We don't understand relationships, period. We 
We tell our kids these days. I say we, the, you know, humanity we. Well, you know, you know, if you, you feel like a, a girl and you're a boy, that's well, maybe you are a girl trapped in the boy's body. Why, why does someone think they're a girl when they're in a boy's body? Why does someone think they're a boy in a girl's body? Just as someone, I know this is anecdotal evidence, but just as someone who counsels a lot of young people who have struggled with some of these things, and I do not belittle the struggle. That's not my thoughts at all. That's not what I'm trying to communicate here. But as someone who has ministered to individuals in this spot, one of the things I frequently hear them say is, well, I'm not attracted to the opposite sex. To which I would say, you're 13, you're 15, you're 16. Why are you associating and understanding any type of relationship or lack of relationship or who you are and what you should be with attraction? Listen, we are all very unique. God has designed us in unique ways, all right? There are things that I might find attractive that you could care less about. It doesn't make me a different gender or a different species than you, all right? If I prefer eye color or hair color or whatever, and someone else says, why this? You know, it's, it's crazy. You know, like we're having the, the, the daddy-daughter dance, and, and my two girls did not choose the same exact thing. One of them chose this color and this style, and the other one chose this color and this style. And we didn't have to have any serious conversations to sit down and go, now, why did you pick purple? I think we need to understand and delve into why you picked purple. There is nothing wrong with a five-year-old, seven-year-old, nine-year-old, 14-year-old, 17-year-old, 21-year-old, 35-year-old person going, I'm not really attracted to the opposite sex right now. Why do we have to be defined by being attracted to something? And more often than not, when I talk to some of these individuals, they're hurting because they go, well, I think I'm weird. I'm being told I'm weird because I'm not attracted to something. And it's because our culture is so over-sexualized that we can't understand and conceive of any kind of relationship that doesn't have attraction involved in it. What if your spouse, God forbid, I pray this never happens to anyone, but what if something happened to them and, and they were no longer capable of fulfilling physical desires for sex? What if they were no longer attractive to you? In what way, shape, or form does that affect the relationship, the base of your friendship? It doesn't. And when we try to define, I'm sorry for going on a rant, but when we try to define relationships and love only on attraction, we are coming down, please forgive my language, but to the dog that's looking for somebody in the neighborhood because it's time. We were created for so much more than that. My bride is my best friend. She is gorgeous to me, but she is my best friend. And God forbid anything would ever affect any of those things that are wonderfully attractive to me about her. She would still be my best friend. She would still be the love of my life. She would still be the one that I want to go to bed with, that I want to wake up to, that I want to hold her hand, that I want to walk down the beach, that I want to talk to and spend the rest of my life with. Period. 
So the reason I am tempted to not even dignify this with a response, clearly I already have, is because we have such a, a wrong way of just approaching relationships in general. I tell young people all the time, because especially when you see others, especially if you start getting into your, your college years and stuff and you start seeing others go off and get married and, you know, and you're like, well, what about me, right? And to be frank, I don't know how to sympathize with that because me and Beverly dated right before my senior year in high school. I've never known what it's like to be an adult and be single. So I, I, I can't come on and go, man, I was there. You know, I was rough. I didn't know where I was going to find my bride. Nope, I had mine when I graduated. So I, I see folks and they come to me and they experience that pain of I see people around me getting married and I'm lonely and I'm not there because I, I've never gone through that. But I see the pain. I see the difficulty. But I'm not trying to be callous when I say build good friendships. Build solid friendships. Because in the end, the person you want to marry is your best friend. The phrase here, kissed one another, it literally means to kiss as a man to his friend. Now, we don't do that in our culture. Uh, I, I had a, a dear friend of mine, uh, he was a very German, and he didn't display emotion hardly ever. I'm German. One of the things you don't know about Germans is we're very, very passionate. Um, that's why we're usually in a war most decades of history. But we also tend to be outwardly very formal. You say, well, you're not formal at all. Yes, I'm also half Puerto Rican. <laughs> you get it all. <laughs> but there are very special moments when I knew he had been deeply impacted through our friendship. He would kiss me on the forehead. Not something we do in our culture. My first experience when I was in Peru, went down to Peru on a mission trip, and uh, and everybody's kissing me on the cheek, and I'm just like, okay, this is weird. I there's one woman who's ever kissed me in my life, and that's my wife, you know, and uh, and my mom, well, my mother too. But you get the idea. Definitely not used to being kissed by strangers. And I've got guys who are I've got ladies, and I'm like, okay, I'm just rolling with it right now, but I'm definitely out of my comfort zone. But then after like the third Central American, South American country you go to, you're like, okay, this is just how it is. It's not our culture here, but in the Middle East, that is, that's what the holy kiss is. It's the kiss on each side of the cheek. That's, it's the holy kiss. That's why it was so, when Judas comes, he comes and he kisses him on the side of each. It's, it's, that was a holy kiss. And, and that's why Jesus says, Judas, do you betray the son of man with a, a kiss? A sign of deep friendship? This phrase here is that same phrase. They're not like some HBO porno here. This is a man kissing his friend. And they wept one with another. The word there means to sob, to wail, to convulse. They were just broken. Even though Jonathan loved his father, he knew the Lord had rejected him as king. Jonathan believed David would be Israel's next king. We're going to see that later on in 1 Samuel. Do you know what Jonathan's dream was? Jonathan's dream was to be a support for David as they partnered together in leading Israel to new heights. That was his dream. His dream was to succeed where his father failed. 
These two men, the reason they weep together is because it was very easy to see that dream as dead right now, gone. And so how on earth would either of them find a future that they wanted, the future they had planned for now? In Proverbs 13, 12, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sad. Deferred means postponed, dragged out. The word sad actually means sick, weak, wounded, sore. And oh, how shattered dreams, shattered hopes weaken our hearts. It's normal and it's okay to experience sadness and grief in those moments because there's a sense where something has died. But it's not okay to stay there forever. And so it tells us that they did this until Jonathan exceeded. The word there means he took it to another level. While Jonathan found consolation in weeping with his friend, David became overwhelmed. All of those questions came piling back. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? So Jonathan speaks up and repeats what he told David in verse 13. That he would go in peace. He says to him, go in peace. I know right now, David, you're feeling overwhelmed. You have questions, but go in peace. The word go means you must walk a different path. We wanted to walk this path. This is what we had planned for. This is what we had covenanted together to do. But that's not happening right now, David. You've got to go a different path than I have to go right now. But you need to go and take that path in peace. Shalom. It means to be whole, to be intact. It speaks of completeness, soundness, wellness, and safety. He says, David, you're going to heal from this. Yes, you're broken right now, but you're going to heal. You're going to be intact again. You will be safe someday, even though you are sick and you're broken and you're in danger right now. How could Jonathan know that? Because it wasn't David alone against the Lord. Jonathan had his back and so did the Lord. And that truth would last even after Jonathan and David departed from this world. He says, go in peace for as much as we have sworn, both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and your seed forever. David, I've got your back. The Lord has your back too. And so David arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I'm sure David could never see a way that even have kids, let alone kids that got along with Jonathan's kids. And so, since David couldn't see it, Jonathan saw it for him. And he saw beyond that to the future that God would bring to both of their families, despite their awful current situation. And when we get later on in First and Second Samuel, we will see when David becomes king, that he shows great kindness to Jonathan's children. And they have a place at his seat in the kingdom. So even while Jonathan and David could not experience that dream, it did come true in a different way. So Jonathan, he goes his way back into the city. David arose and departed. There are still many unknowns for these two broken hearts. But the knowns, their friendship, and God's loving care, those outweighed the unknowns. So how do each of their stories end? Well, they do see each other again. David survived Saul's manhunt to become Israel's next king. And Jonathan returns to Saul's side as one of Israel's chief commanders. And just because a dream dies doesn't mean all dreams have died. 
Remember that the next time you experience disappointment. Rest in God's love. Like I said next, last week, do the next thing. And stay close to those who love you, even if the things they tell you are hard to hear. Jonathan was a good friend because he told David the truth. Be that kind of friend too. Lord, I don't remember who said it, but they said all the world lies in wickedness. That's true. But you are still God. And you are still on the throne. And so while David has experienced all all this wickedness, Lord, we can surely think to our own lives where we've experienced wrong. So I pray for those who maybe even right now are experiencing disappointment in their own life. That a dream has died. Or maybe it's in the middle of dying. I pray that you comfort them, Lord. That you would be that friend that sticks closer than a brother, like Jonathan was to David. And that they would know the comfort of your presence, of your promise. That just because this dream died doesn't mean all dreams die. That you who have begun a good work in them will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray you help all of us to rest in your love, to keep walking with you, to take the next step, and Lord, to listen to good counsel from those who love us. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.